talk about revolution that's going a little bit too far. So love me, love me, love me. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of More Like the Worst Wing, our show where here in 2021, we take a look at Aaron Sorkin's seminal work, The West Wing, from a modern leftist socialist perspective. I am Dave. And I am Stu. And in this episode, which is entitled Life on Mars, uh, which makes you think it might be another space-related episode, kind of like the where they got all excited about Gallagher five, uh, Galileo 5 or whatever. No, it's not really that. Uh, instead, this episode mostly deals with our not-seen-for-a-long-time vice president, uh, played by Tim Matheson, Mr. John Hoynes, uh, and we'll get into exactly what his behavior entails further in this segment, but the episode starts off with uh, the titular Life on Mars thing being brought up. Uh, CJ's doing a press conference, and one of the reporters, after all the other reporters scatter off, follows her with a question about from her science columnist that did the White House uh, classify a report uh, where they found water molecules from a meteorite asteroid yeah. from Mars? Yeah, some sort of some sort of thing that came off Mars that they found what they call, quote-unquote, fossilized water molecules, <laughs> which I'm not quite sure how that works, scientifically. I was, I was, I was fucking lighting up the notes when this came through, because mm-hmm. this, is some, this is a nit that I love to pick, and it just kind of speaks to how, um, like, scientifically illiterate the audience is expected, or I guess, frankly, the writers are. Yeah, here I'm because sure how water like, molecules become fossils. <laughs> like, I get that you could... Theoretically, through some sort of spectrography, be like these are the remnants, remnants of in a mollo- stone right, matrix. It wouldn't, be, it, it wouldn't be a fossil, <laughs> and fossilized is completely the wrong term. And so, before we move on with the vice president thing, this is basically like it's incredible because they they blow past this factual garbage, and you hear CJ say your question is about life on Mars, and therefore it becomes that. So right. it's like, and, and she says it's just dismissively, like, haha, you're asking such a silly question. Like, did we find life on Mars? That's stupid. And like, and frankly, we've known about that there's water on Mars for like 50 years. Yeah, for like a <laughs> like, long Jesus time. Jesus Christ. Red yeah. Mars came out in 1993. Come yeah. on. Like, yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah, and first off, water does not equal life. Water equals possibility <laughs> of life, certainly, but water by itself does not equal life on Mars. So CJ makes some real big leaps here that she doesn't need to be making. But this ends up not mattering in and of itself. Like, we don't, we find out and eventually that the Defense Department was the ones who classified it, not the White House. And then they tell, so this this ends up becoming sort of this narrative weave that that our new man matthew perry uh joe i don't know what the fuck his last name is crowley or something yeah no that's the actual guy that's the guy who aoc beat (laughs) uh joe joe lawyer who uh, i will call joe lawyer because he's a lawyer they put him in ainsley's old room the uh steam pipe trunk distribution venue (laughs) joe quincy Quincy. quintessential america oh my god that's why it's like (laughs) simpsons-esque that's i I knew it i knew he kind of had a funny name Joe Quincy, yeah, he's related to, to Mayor Quimby. He's like a distant cousin. <laughs> um, so he finds out about this, and he fi- also finds out about something about a, a company's 
A company got granted immunity in exchange for putting 100,000 computers into schools or something mm-hmm. like that, some sort of big conglomerate. And both of these things link to the vice president in a weird way through a gossip columnist and a, a DC socialite-esque woman who's, who's writing a book. So this is, and wa- watching this, I am just, I was like zoning out on the couch because it is so confusing yeah. to try and, because, okay, so the, the, the filming of this whole arc, which is the result of which is Detective Matthew Perry here mm-hmm. figures out that the he vice president, the yeah, he breaks the case wide open. Yeah. Um, but he figures out that the vice president's having an affair with this socialite woman. But yes. the weave of the facts is so confusing yes. and predicated on these tiny little slips of information and sometimes just like uh, like connections drawn out of completely thin air right. that it's hard to watch. And when you actually see him present his final thoughts, it completely gun. blindsides you. Yeah, yeah, it comes out of nowhere. Yeah, uh, so that that uh, that is, I want to talk about that bit when he does present CJ with, okay. the, sm- with the smoking gun evidence. So he's fi- he this is his first day, of, uh, by the way, at the White <laughs> House officially, which the, the vice president has a great comment about it later on, where he's like, oh boy, they're going to put a picture of you up somewhere, <laughs> or like, you really earned your money today kind of thing. Uh, so he connects these two news pieces and then he finds the real smoking gun, which I think is almost proof of the affair in and of itself, which is just the White House call logs, <laughs> which is where no. you can just see John Hoynes calling this random woman over and over right, and over. over. <laughs> it's like, well, what else do you need? There's most of your proof right there. <laughs> I just could have just read the logs and I didn't need to do all this detective bullshit. What the fuck? Right. So he figures it out because this gossip columnist who had the science thing also knew the the socialite woman. It's very convoluted and stupid and and real circumstantial, I guess is the word. There, there's no hard evidence of any of this, which is why Hoynes is like kind of blindsided when they find out at the end. He's like, "How'd you figure it out?" And I think I think we're intended to believe that the tenuous nature of these connections gives credence to right. detective matthew perry's intelligence or like right. he's he's clearly extremely he, good at his job because right. look he how looks he's at, looking out he looks at these details that everyone else would have just overlooked as minor things but really they're so minor as to almost not be proof exactly <laughs> they're not credible they're right. so minor right that's right and like you said it is a narrative shorthand to show oh isn't joe quincy so smart and and so great and you know this new character we have. He's gonna be he's gonna be so useful. Uh, but then, so we get we get the reveal that you know he's having an affair, and then we get to deal with the fallout of that, where they all confront the vice president in his office, and he basically is just he's like, yeah, you know, I, I fucked up, and I like to brag, and this is my favorite part. It's like his dick got him in so much trouble. If he had just not, like, it's bad enough he has the affair, you know, like, yeah, he'll probably end up divorced. He'll become, like, the ridicule of the media for a month or two, but then people would forget about it, but then he has to, like, blab all these White House secrets yeah. because <laughs> he wants to, like, seem more impressive or whatever. Like, you're already sleeping with her. How much more do you need to, to be... <laughs> impressive 
you're also like you're the fucking vice president like yeah of the united states you're that insecure <laughs> well to be fair vice president i feel like vi- all vice presidents are somewhat insecure unless unless they go full cheney and just take over you know like there's the inherent you know you are number two kind of stigma to the job <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, let's of of the of the character roster here. Like John Hoynes is sort of modern toxic masculinity mm-hmm. embodied. Like he's the he's the man's man well, from Texas. Who, oh my god, you want to talk about toxic masculinity? Let's talk about how Leo reacts to all of this after it comes out. And so, <laughs> so after that thing in the office where Hoynes is like, okay, I you know I have to think about this. I need to talk to my family, kind of thing. Then he goes to talk to Bartlett and Leo alone in the Oval or outside the Oval. And in this, they, they are doing everything they can to try to find a way out of this where no one gets hurt, uh, particularly the Democratic Party. Um, and so uh, Bartlett asks, are you in a position to deny it? Or something like that. And Leo's like, yeah, she wrote a book deal. No one's going to believe her. She's going to, she's going to make seven figures off the book deal. We can, we can call her a lying whore. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, she's it's just a, real just a gossip up. rag columnist. Like what the fuck her anyway? Yeah. And, and you know, at one point Leo just like looks at him and he goes like, you're, you're a senator. You're the vice president. You will not be brought down by this low person. And it's like, she's just saying the quiet part loud of like, you're, <laughs> you're in the elite and the common people can't touch you anymore. This is not the right way of things. Yeah. It's, it's a small club. And guess what, John, you're a member of it. So, right. so we're going to do, do everything. We, we can, we're going to do everything we can to cover for you. And it's, oh my God. Like that's, that's the real gross part it, of it to me right there at the end there with Leo. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's sort of classic sexism because, like Sorkin sexism even, because mm-hmm. of course we invoke, and I'm going to have a little bit more to say about this towards the end of the episode, but of course in this scenario we invoke the very easy trope of, oh, horndog man in position of power, you know, get gets his dick sucked once because he's divulging state secrets or whatever, but never mind that, like, the affair clearly was at the very least consensual. Yeah. And probably Hoynes was like in the fucking driver's seat. So oh, what's that almost say? Assur- almost assuredly. What's that say about like his patrician-ness? Like what, what are you trying to communicate here? Like people aren't special or elite in this regard. We're, we're all horny. Right. Like, <laughs> well, it's, it's the implication that he's like a better class of man and he shouldn't be brought down by like these, these low level affairs that like the normal people have. It's, it's very gross. The whole, the whole thing. And it just leaves a, a stink all over the end of the episode in particular. Well, and I think, I mean, to be perfectly honest and thinking more about it, um, the, the Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky thing mm-hmm. cemented this idea and this mm-hmm. almost, I guess, narrative device in the public's mind mm-hmm. for generations. Like right. For, this, is, this is the only way you really, like, hurt a politician now is, like, you have to have a sex scandal of some kind. Well, and even lately, like, the joke has been, what, a live boy or dead girl? Right. You know, because it just keeps getting worse and worse because now it's sort of expected that that's what these people are going to do, which, again, goes back to Leo's bizarre assertion of his, you know, sacrosanct position in this 
neoliberal and, and elite order. The normal people should not be the ones to take down this this great titan of a man. Like, um, okay, it's, dude. It's ridiculous. D- definitely no uh, no serious classism going on here. Like, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It's yeah. So that I mean that mostly is my thoughts on the particular affair plotline. This dominates most of the episode. There's no real politics in this episode, so to say. It's mostly just about this affair. Yeah, and, so, and the repercussions thereof. That that's like ninety percent of the episode. There's a couple throwaway, and if you don't mind, we can just blaze through the real TV stuff because I want to get into sort of the analysis in the second segment. Okay. Um, there's a couple throwaway things. There's a bird in Donna's office or something. <laughs> that's such like that's literally just for comedy, and it has like thirty seconds <laughs> of like, you know, he goes like. <laughs> on the window with his beak and it's just driving donna insane <laughs> like cj comes in and they're both talking to this bird out the window and it's right. a beat because matthew perry comes in and he's just like, it's like um... what, what's up with the birds <laughs> <laughs> yeah because he's already seen it in donna and josh's office and now it followed them over to cj's office so. <laughs> and to, to be fair early in the episode i, I kind of missed this but like cj takes great relish in owning Detective Matthew Perry yes. in the steam trunk distribution venue yeah, because yeah. she's just like, um, you're going to come with me now. And he's like, he's I like, really I think I should work. unpack my stuff. Yeah. He's like, I have work to do. And she's like, I outrank you by 17 ranks. You do what I say. Yeah. <laughs> Hop along okay. now. And he's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. And then there's a uh, thing where um, hang Will... On. Okay, go ahead. Bef- before we get into that, I also just want to talk about, for some reason, uh, Charlie and Toby eat lunch together yeah. uh, because Charlie wanted to watch tennis on Toby's TV. Uh, and, and it's just a delightful little moment. Like, it has nothing to do with the rest of the episode, but, you know, Charlie's just watching and he's talking about stuff and he brings up a story or whatever. And then to- after his story, Toby's like, remember how you said I wouldn't even know you were here? I know you're here. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's almost like we... Um, What's what's his name signed a contract that obligated he be included in X number of episodes in yeah. the season? <laughs> yeah. Just like uh shit. Yeah. Can can we write some lines for Charlie? So I I just I wanted to shout that out because I enjoy it very much. And then uh, as you said, the the only other quote unquote actual plot line with any substance at all is that Will is concerned because there's a ad uh, in a perfect example of tell don't show. We don't see the ad. Nope. <laughs> which infuriates me always a little bit um but he plays an ad for toby where uh the a family's driving an suv to vacation and it's loaded up with luggage and the dog and the kids uh but it can't make it up the steep hill because those fucking bureaucrats in congress went and made fuel emission standards higher so now <laughs> uh, now our suv can't make it up this hill in america it's <laughs> It's it's literally so a, a made-up problem. Yeah, and it, it it's so dated, of course, too. Um, given that we would have the age of the SUV and the you know the Hummer and and all that dominating the aughts and the and the early tens. Yeah, well, I've, and I feel like this is on the cusp of that kicking up because I remember like the H two came out and I mean don't quote me on this, but it was like two thousand four, two thousand five, around so, this time. Yeah, so we're right there with mm-hmm. it. And it just, it seems so strange. So I guess to, to wrap up what happens is like, Will goes to Toby and says like, we need to do an ad. And a counter, the, a counter yeah, like ad. A right. counter ad. It's, and somehow this becomes the responsibility of arguably like a third tier cabinet 
position person yes. will why is this, and his interns. Why is this Will's responsibility all of a sudden <laughs> where they have to plan the ad? So basically, well, he comes to Toby. He's like, well, we should do a counter ad. And it's like, okay, Toby's like, all right, great. What's your idea for the counter ad? He's like, oh, I don't have one. I'm just saying we should do a counter ad. He's like, well, come back with an idea. <laughs> Uh, and so rather than farm this out to like an ad studio, like they would do normally, you know, with every other one, you know, (laughs) and get their like 12% grift or whatever. Like I'm sure Bruno, when he was running the campaign, had a fucking army of, of ad people ready to go to, to turn out ads on the spot. But all of a sudden now it's, it's Will and the Lorenz, uh, the return of the four Lorenz or the three Lorenz and, uh, the other one. Uh, and they, and they just like. It's like a it's like a meta thing of like watching a writer's room at work where mm-hmm. they're just bouncing around ideas and they're all terrible. <laughs> they're like, what if it's we get the same family from the ad, but instead of, you know, towing whatever, they're towing a Saudi oil rig. <laughs> It's like, it's all these like political cartoonist idea of what humor is. Yeah, I was thinking it was um, like, they're, they're basically describing like, uh, gosh, I'm trying to think of something like a Gary Varvel yes. comic or something. Yes, One of yeah, these... uh, I just picture them being like, more labels, we need labels on everything. Like, <laughs> it's what incisive if we had... commentary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What if we had a label on the Saudi oil rig calling it that? <laughs> Uh, and so, yeah, but for some reason, this is, it, it ends up going nowhere or they end up, uh, no, they don't or, do no, anything. No. well, it ends up going nowhere because they come back to Toby with an idea that still sucks, but it's an idea. And then Toby's like, why are we doing a counter ad? You know, this is such a minor thing being fought about at the highest level of government. Why does it need to be a commercial on television? And, <laughs> and then they all realize, oh yeah, this was all stupid. And then they just stop. <laughs> well, and Toby's like. Um, the vice president's going to resign. So yeah. Oh, by the way, we have bigger problems now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just and it's it. Uh, I timed it because in total there are three segments that this that is dealt with with this. It eats five minutes of the forty-two ish mm-hmm. that this episode that runs. All, so, almost ninety-nine percent of the rest of that runtime is devoted to the affair plot or or a comedy beat. Like just completely bizarre pacing and strange. So, like. I think over the last at least couple episodes, we've started to establish um, a bit of a, a pattern, in particular the writing. And I think I remember when we brought Jaya on a couple of weeks ago, there was a lot of thoughts about kind of not necessarily even the politics anymore, but just the craft of writing these mm-hmm. shows. So mm-hmm. let's take a quick break here, and I want to go in a little deeper on that phenomenon. Sure. So one thing that you may have noticed is in the last several episodes, if you're keeping up, is that we start to kind of focus in a little bit more on the actual craft of the show itself. I mean, it's politics. The quality of the writing. Yeah. Well, yeah. And as a, it's politics have been on its Stag- sleeve. Stagnant. For a long time. We don't really have 
too much to elucidate beyond what we already have several times. And so, so few political things happen, like explicitly political things. Like an affair is not political inherently. Yeah, and I think this is where we, we can, honestly, the last few episodes of this season are an interesting confluence of these two things because it starts to invoke lazy, lazy, tropish writing. And I hate to use mm-hmm. the word trope, but I'm going to do it. Uh, it's a perfectly cromulent word. Yeah. So we start out with the, this affair, A, comes out of nowhere. The last time we yes. saw Tim Matheson, John Hoynes, on screen was 11 episodes ago. Which is insane. <laughs> like, if you're, if you're going to do this, you need to set it up a little bit. Like, uh, you know, just even a, just like a shot of Hoynes on the phone and he doesn't want anyone to overhear him. Like, that little of, th- of a thing. You need it, which is just proof that they pulled it completely out of their ass. So, I mean, I'm just trying to imagine, can, like, if you are were a serialized watcher of this show back in 2004 or whatever, you're waiting every mm-hmm. week for it to be Thursday night to watch this again. I, and you had started on a whim or something, just being mm-hmm. like, oh, hey, this show, like, I've heard a lot about it. Like... When you you'd be like, up to who's this, this guy? You'd be so confused. <laughs> yeah, who's this guy? <laughs> Just, yeah. oh, okay, great. So there's this guy, and he had an affair. And so, I, again, I guess he's the vice president. <laughs> so we don't see, we don't, we aren't shown anything about no. this. And this is so much tell, don't show in this episode. And it is, it is so heavily weighted with import that it is. Part of the confusion that I have when I'm physically watching this is that it is made to seem very important, but supported with almost nothing. Like, it is inconsequential throughout the episode until there's this big explosive reveal of, like, oh. We don't even see the woman he's having the affair with. We don't even get a picture of her or, or anything like that. We get a name. That's it. And and again, like kind of the just the the kind of insipidness of like, oh well, she's just a wealthy socialite. You know, she right. doesn't know shit from shit. Thing yeah, to be like, just, not like our big, big responsible institutional vice president, man. Right, she's written off so casually, and it's so easy because, like I said, there's no narrative weight to her character because she's not real. She's a name we see on a piece of newspaper. Yeah, and it's, she's not a woman. We don't see her. We don't hear a voice. We don't even get a picture. <laughs> she's not real. It, she's just a problem that the vice president has. And so the, this is exactly sort of, I think that's a really brilliant way to put it, this isn't anything, it's just a problem that is happening to this character. Right, that they have to deal with now. Which yeah. is, again, deeply, deeply sexist. And yeah, and like, we don't even get like the president talking about like how his marriage has been bad or anything like that. It's just the, the vice president. And it, it just, it literally just comes out of nowhere. And you can, and knowing, you know, small spoilers for the end of the upcoming season, because we're about to roll straight into the finale, when the finale happens and the president ends up having to 25th Amendment himself, it becomes much more higher stakes because now it goes to the Speaker of the House because they haven't appointed a new VP yet and Hoynes is resigned. Uh, this episode bookends, by the way, with the opening of the resignation letter. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
uh, which they treat with such great n- narrative, or dramatic weight. Incredible gravity and also some yeah. classism because the woman took a cab because her car wouldn't start. And the <laughs> president's like, oh, okay. Yeah, and then, like, she has this thing where her voice, like, doesn't work the first time she tries to explain it because she's so nervous about what's mm-hmm. happening. And it's like, it's really not that nerve-wracking. Like, he's, uh, he's resigning. It's not that there's, big a deal. There's, this is, I think we particularly remarked on this phenomenon in a way back episode where people, it was probably Will, where people, It was like, when Will first came yeah, in. Where yeah, people shit their pants nervous. when they talked to the When they talked to the president. And it's like, <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, like, this woman's, too. like, the VP's chief of staff or whatever. He's, she's, yeah. like, some higher up on the VP staff because we see her meeting privately with him before the whole affair thing happens. So, like, she, clearly she's probably been to the Oval Office half a dozen times before <laughs> this. But, of course, yeah, like, we, it's this, this you know, it's it's a holy site. It's sacrosanct ground. You have, to, you have to be respectful and nervous and, oh, my God, you know, what if you said the wrong word to the president? Yeah, and so, again, uh. it, it comes around on this thing where there's just, there's so much invested in this this fundamental um i want to say archetype like a concept of writing it is writing 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 and they're so obsessed with it like the the affair happens because these people are writers they are writing in newspapers it is a press driven Mm -hmm. conceit here Mm -hmm. and then we get cj talking to Stu winkle on the phone which i think you noted here oh right right i thank you for reminding me yeah i didn't want to mention so when the climactic moment of of the whole conspiracy the affair is being presented by matthew perry to cj where he's laying out all the evidence he's literally like showing her documents he shows her the white house call logs with all hoynes calling the woman over and over and over which again to me is the whole smoking gun right there um but in meanwhile in the background she had to call up this gossip columnist Stu Winkle who they, they love to point out the name because it's a funny name and it, to be fair it is hey solidarity with Stu's here I've been called worse <laughs> um so and then so while they have she CJ calls up Stu to try to like confirm some piece of information and as soon as they confirm that Joe starts silently presenting all this evidence. And meanwhile, in the background, Stu is just going on and on like a <laughs> mile a minute about, oh, CJ, I love you so much. And you wear these great clothes. And he's just, he goes for like a fucking minute and a half straight of uncut dialogue where CJ doesn't respond. There's no other audio in the scene. And I just want to give like a huge shout out. Even if that guy has the paper in front of him, that's hard. <laughs> Yeah, and that's hard to do. And I, I think he's credited as voice only in the yeah. show. Yeah, we never see him. It's, it's um, really, it's really a funny beat. But anyway, it's, like, it's really good. Greetings, podcast listeners. I am extemping this, and after the fact, I went to do some research about Stu Winkle, who I will be including his masterful minute and seventeen second long phone monologue at the end of this little segment here. But I found out, and I had to include the fact that the voice actor who plays Stu Winkle in this episode of The West Wing, his name is Sam Pancake. (laughs) Anyway, here is Sam Pancake's masterful phone performance as Stu Winkle, gossip columnist for The Washington Post. Uh, Well, that makes perfect sense. I I, I hope you don't mind. It sounded crazy enough, but what do I know? So you got to run these things down. Oh, uh, 
you know, I know you have all the free time in the world, but it would be great if we could get together for a quick coffee one day, and I'll tell you why. You may find this hard to believe, but before I got into this lighter stuff, I was a serious journalist. I, I don't mean boring serious, but you know, the more uh, more than the bolding celebrity fluff. The embarrassing thing is, I was so green, I spent thousands of dollars getting a chase school sheepskin from Columbia. Of course, that and the Metro card will get you right on the subway, right? And then after that, I spent two years getting people to coffee in town and country before I realized I was better off getting real-life experiences in the trenches. So I freelanced my butt off. I wrote about AIDS orphans, Mississippi flood victims, a series on homeless teenagers, race rights, and rural colleges in the Midwest. And I felt good about myself. But you know what? That stuff paid the same amount per word as if I sat down with Angela Movie Star for an hour and just let the tape record or transcriber blathering about her latest boyfriend and what the rest of her new role is. Now that I've been doing this for, like, geez, gosh, I don't know, it's been 10 years already, I really want to use this position as opposed to get my toes back into real deep water, you know. Stu, thank you very much. I'm sorry, I have oh, to go. Well, I... Which brought me back to another point when you were just speaking last, I just realized Leo's marriage plotline back in season one is how you do this plotline. Hmm. I hadn't even thought we, about that parallel. We see Leo's wife. We mm. see the problems in their marriage. We see things happen at their home. We don't even know where the vice president fucking lives. Yeah. <laughs> he's just he's just a cudgel that's like hanging around to be dropped in the middle of things to be like, oh, we need to do X plot. Like, here right. comes John Hoynes. Right. So it's funny because the show has done this before of showing like marriage problems outside of the White House. Well, with and Andy how the, and Toby. The, yeah, like, again, because we've seen Andy. She's a real character. She's a woman we've seen on the show. But this Helen Baldwin woman is literally never seen. Yeah, and so I guess where, where I'm going with this eventually is that the contrast, as we mentioned, the season finale is coming up. And for mm -hmm. those of you who have seen the show, this is a somewhat pivotal two episodes for multiple reasons, not the least mm -hmm. of which is that Aaron Sorkin leaves. The, yes. the team after this particular set of episodes. But yep. the contrast that I will draw and kind of set up on this recording is that we're deploying this stereotype, this drop-in device that is meant to be understood by the audience. Boop. Oh, it's an affair. I right. know how those go. It, so, it instantly adds context to everything. Exactly. And you set up a certain amount of preconceptions that, thank God, make it easier to figure out what the fuck is going on Right. In retrospect, because there's no exposition. Because it, so it was so poorly written and communicated, yes. <laughs> so so you'll they notice... get to rely on these crutches, these narrative crutches of, oh, I know what how affairs happen on TV and what the consequences thereof. Yeah, and, you know, however they carried off in the whole conversation with Leo and the president and, and the, the classism that they kind of embrace is whatever. But the contrast that I'd like to draw is how the... Zoe kidnapping sequence, which spoilers happens in the next two episodes, and that's the mm -hmm. season finale stuff, mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. also a very understandable and just hellishly convenient little bloop drop in device that is deployed mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. they're, for some reason, the staff, the writers are just that fucking lazy now. Right. Well,. And uh, I brought this up beforehand. I'm going to do some research before the finale here because I desperately want to know if Sorkin knew mentally like that he was done with the show 
before he decided to write the finale or not. Because if he knew that he was not coming back, this is like a fucking real thing to leave for the next writing staff to have to deal with. Like, shaky, you know, the, the show has to go back to status quo at some point, and Sorkin just completely upends the status quo with the, with the end of the season four finale, and it takes the season five showrunners and writers, like, several episodes to finally corral it back. Yeah, well, and I think the way you described it is was perfect, because with with a serial like this that is theoretically being renewed seasonally, you almost, and we've seen it time and again, my favorite example of this is with ER, because if you watch ER for 11 seasons, every season just, the the, it, it, the finale is something that's even worse than it was before. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you, this o- is, you always have to increase stakes. Always. Yeah. And, and this is Aaron Sorkin starting to go, if he, if he had foreknowledge of his plans to leave or quit the show after the fourth season, him going... Oh, well, fuck these guys. We're going to jack this shit up to, like, 17 on the yeah. old dial. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck yeah. getting this back under control, y'all. Yeah. Good luck ever having the show be exciting again after after <laughs> I do after I pull out this. Yeah. You know, we've already done a shooting. We've already done a re-election, you know, and now I'm pulling out, like, my final big exciting thing that can happen with a president dramatically. <laughs> Just, like, blast. Fucking blast. deal with it. <laughs> last two seasons turn into like a budget white house down or whatever right or uh, like 24 basically (laughs) we're just like we go through a a rotating cast of presidents who die very quickly (laughs) that'd be great that would be awesome west wing just takes a hard right turn into some jack bauer level political uh, all of a sudden like seven presidents die over the course of the next season (laughs) so i guess to kind of like to to wrap up these particular thoughts it's we we're constantly confronted with the fundamental dissonance of these people clearly thinking so highly of themselves and their craft and the importance thereof which to a certain degree i won't dispute like Mm -hmm. rhetoric has always been crucial in politics if nothing else i think just giving people a lens into the political world is in and of itself you know sparks imagination sparks in thoughtfulness about how are our politics being done how is the sausage being made and particularly in regards to kind of consent manufacture and like how that how that sausage happens based a lot around frankly words and how you deploy them in service Mm -hmm. of your agenda but Mm -hmm. that whole perspective is just extremely muddled in this show because they're right. really fucking bad at it because then because then they play to the cheap sheet seats and they just do like you know really dumb dramatic stuff like this which like quote unquote it works in terms of like a dramatic device but it's not political in any way shape or form <laughs> like if you're trying to make this show about the white house and about how politics gets done and how the sausage gets made you know all these increasingly impossible events that that occur just for drama's sake really distract from that well to be fair it's also slightly betraying my what i'm sure is you know my preconceptions of this show as being you know serious and intellectual and for viewers that's what i mean (laughs) yeah and and this is this is me being disappointed even in that despite having you know had what is it now? Eighty episodes of this, where right. we're, we're tearing it apart on air. Right. Like, 
that's my point is like you know there's that documentary episode where they they show a lot of the behind the scenes and oh we consulted with dd myers and al gore and lawrence o'donnell and all these very smart people who understand politics and then we wrote an affair and an explosion and <laughs> so he gets date raped and kidnapped pew, 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 pew. <laughs> just like coming from all sides here yeah like that's that's the inherent discongruity of of the show right there yeah, which is, it's funny because, and and nothing, even from a very even-keeled, non-political, anal- like a media analysis of this, easily comes to the fore and people get real mad about mm-hmm. it. Like, mm-hmm. if, if you go in on how uh, the West Wing was just kind of a, you know... A, a, a lib sensational yeah. fantasy. <laughs> yeah. They're just like, oh, no. It, no, it was serious, and it, it was about rhetoric and, and the importance oh, of and bipartisanship. The, the American system and brought right. me around to how, you know, these things should be done. And, you know, right. it's a But it's like, no, you're watching, you're watching the dumb show where the president's daughter's about to get date-raped and kidnapped just <laughs> yeah, to mine the drama lever a little more. Yeah, um, so... Yeah, that's kind of my thoughts about how the writing of this breaks down. So let's take another quick break and we can wrap up and maybe talk current events. Welcome back. Uh, thanks, as always, for listening. We always appreciate it. You can leave your comment uh, in our feedback threads, or if you found the show another way, hello, welcome. And you can email the show with any questions, comments, uh, fan appreciation. We always like to get it at theworstwing69 at gmail.com. Nice. Which is nice. And before we fully wrap up here, uh, we'll talk a little bit about... Uh, current events, we're recording this on January 20th, um, in the middle of Biden's first uh, five-day, <laughs> or wait, did the five days start earlier? Either way, it's a five-day inauguration gala affair. <laughs> hmm. Well, and, you know, our long national nightmare is over. Right, all the COVID deaths immediately stopped uh, on noon on the January 20th, it turns out. Um, so... Let's see. I mean, Donald Trump was banned from Twitter yes. and many other social media podcasts, <laughs> which, which ripped to the content. Like, okay, on like, the one hand, incredible, incredible arc, and, you know, and uh, truly that's the only way his arc could end, you know, uh, <laughs> yes. the, the final page in the C-SPAN book, you know, of, of the Twitter account ban, but also at the same time ruined so many tweets lost to the wind. Like they're all archived, but the links are broken. So any 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 forums post you made where you quoted a Trump tweet gone gone all my, all my retweets and calling him Mr. President Nump yeah. <laughs> gone all, all gone but on the same time you know but on the other on the other other hand all the reply guys gone lost to the wind as yeah, well like the the clout chasers just the the and the way that the media ecosystem just entirely and i was thinking about this yesterday i think i may have said something about it, but like the way the entire social media ecosystem like broadly for the globe reoriented itself 
around Donald Trump is going to be the subject of like masters and graduate theses forever. Mm-hmm. Like the the way that sort of he co-opted and cannibalized what would have like what would and should have been some sort of weird consent manufacturer apparatus is just turbo fascinating to me like fuck mm-hmm. him and like the his his views and thoughts and brain are garbage mush but mm-hmm. just like rip to the content because yeah some of these things are just it's so funny to watch how he just glazed on past what should have been done in many of these situations yeah. it's a truly a golden age of content the likes of which we might not see again but on the other hand he's already forming his own political party so <laughs> i think the content factory will keep on churning <laughs> if nothing else it's going from the piss tape to the patriot party the pp <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh good times man. All right. So again, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, we appreciate it. We'll be back soon to discuss the season four finale of Ooh. The West Wing here on The Worst Wing. And in the meantime, everyone stay safe, take care, and uh, enjoy. Stay safe, y'all. Bye. all the money you ask for, but don't ask me to come on over.